Hello and welcome to Sam for Uncut, a podcast for developers about building great products. Today I am excited to welcome Jerome Petizzoni. Hi Jerome, it's great to have you. Hi, thanks for having me. Okay, so maybe you can just go ahead and introduce yourself and then we can get started with our topics. Sure. Well, so I'm Jerome Pitanzini. As everyone will guess after I say more than two sentences, I'm French. <laughs> and you can hear from the accent. I worked for like a decade in France in various companies around infrastructure and open source. And then I moved to California to join this little startup that you might know under the name of Docker. But when I joined it, it was not Docker yet. It was .cloud. We were a small platform as a service company competing with folks like Heroku, for instance. So I worked there for seven years, moving from infrastructure to managing a small team of SREs to then being Docker's first evangelist, then delivering training and workshop on Docker and then orchestration and then Kubernetes. And eventually, in the beginning of 2018, exactly seven years after joining, I quit because I I was dealing with a pretty bad bout of depression and burnout. So I needed some uh, time to recover from that. So I took some time off, and after that, I decided to do training, mostly on Kubernetes, but sometimes on Docker as well. So that's what I've been doing since then. At first, in person, traveling where my customers and students would be. And since the beginning of 2020, online, because for some reason, traveling in person doesn't seem to be fashionable anymore. So it's been an interesting experience to deliver that, like, online through streaming, but I feel like I adapted to that, hopefully for the best. Yeah, great, great. And you mentioned that you had a pretty long career at Docker and, you know, went through different roles. So maybe it would be interesting to hear how that change came when you went from managing, you know, the team of SREs and all the things that you were doing to, you know, being evangelist, doing more public speaking and teaching. And what was the experience of that? Sure. I feel like my move to this public speaking career, to this public facing role was kind of accidental because until 2013, I had given a few talks at some local meetups in San Francisco just to present what we were doing with .cloud. So each time I was trying to find a really compelling demo, like, hey, let's try and find this super nice app, but which is super complicated to deploy. And let's show how to make it ridiculously easy to deploy on our platform to showcase what we are doing. And I had done like one talk at PyCon about zero RPC, our internal like uh, RPC layer. And then in 2013, I had submitted a talk about containers to scale the Southern California Linux Expo because I was living close to Los Angeles at the time. And I was thinking, well, there is that conference. It's just like a a one-hour drive away from my place. Maybe I could just go and talk about containers there. I didn't know that this would be the talk that would start my real speaking career. Yeah, because just after that talk, I got a message from somebody telling me, hey, can you come to Beijing and deliver the same talk? So like, well, I would love to accept this conference was one of our drive from my place, but Beijing is a little bit farther. So how does that work? And they tell me, no, 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 you don't understand. We're going to pay for your flights, your hotels. 
because we really want you to come and deliver that talk in Beijing. I was like, oh, okay, that changes everything. So I checked with my manager and they're like, sure, yeah, you should do it. And it's going to be great for your image and for the company and everything. So a few months later, I'm delivering that talk in Beijing. And after that talk, somebody comes to speak with me and like, hey, can you come with me and talk to our engineers because they couldn't be here today and we really would like if you could have a conversation with them. And I'm like, well, I would be happy to, but this is Friday afternoon and I'm leaving tomorrow morning. So like, that's fine. We're just going to go tonight. I'm like, wow, these folks really are super motivated to talk about containers on the Friday night. After a really long cab drive through Beijing, I arrived at the Baidu office. Baidu is basically the Google of China. That's pretty much all I knew about them at the time. And I had this amazing experience of talking about containers. Most of the room didn't speak English, and I can't really blame them because my Mandarin was also non-existent. And so we had like uh, two, three people kind of translating back and forth. So that was probably one of the most exotic, weird, interesting, like uh, engineering communication experiences I ever had. And when I came back to the office, like a few weeks, maybe a couple of months later, you know, one thing leading to another, Docker was able to make an announcement that Baidu would be using Docker in some capacity. And shortly after that, basically take the same story, but this time, instead of going to Beijing and having this conversation with Baidu, I'm going to Moscow and having a conversation with engineers from Yandex. This time, we didn't need folks to translate because their English was actually excellent. And shortly after that, we also make like a press release announcing that Yandex would be using Docker in some capacity. And after that, we kept joking, oh, we need to send you to a conference in Mountain View so that Google can say that they are using Docker. <laughs> and it's kind of the thing that started my speaking career because at that point, Docker became like a thing and we kept being either invited or people were suggesting that we would propose a talk to their conference and we needed to get the word out there anyway. So as most of the formerly .cloud engineering team moved to Docker and to ship like, a, you know, Docker 0 0.4, 5, 6, 7, etc. I was still maintaining the .cloud platform and delivering these talks and starting like to travel all around the world. So that's how I switched from this SRE engineering management role to almost exclusively public speaking. Hey everyone, Sanford has published an open source book called CI-CD with Docker and Kubernetes. It combines just the right amount of best practices and practical advice for shipping cloud-native apps. Download your free copy today at sanfordci.com. Yeah, and it's super natural that uh, public speaking is very connected to then talking to people and helping them learn Docker and understand it. During the prep call, we also mentioned like Kubernetes and that progression when you kind of realize that Kubernetes could be a big thing. So can you talk a bit about that in the journey of Docker when the Kubernetes came about? Sure. Kubernetes came about pretty early. I think as soon as in 2014, we had folks like, you know, from the original team of Kubernetes coming to the office and having conversations with the Docker team. Unfortunately, there was 
kind of two separate lines here where the Docker thought, well, Kubernetes is, seems way too complicated for developers. We know developer experience. We have successfully shipped Docker itself and then Docker desktop. So we got this. We're going to make an amazing orchestration product that's going to be way easier to use. It's true that Swarm was and still is easier to use than Kubernetes, but it's also true that it's more limited in some ways. And to me, one of the um, kind of foundational moments in a way was at the end of my time at Docker, at the end of 2017, I knew I was about to take a long break. So I had kind of uh, put some order into my things and was like, okay, what can I do before hiding off? And since I had successfully delivered a Kubernetes workshop at LinuxCon Open Source Summit in uh, October 2017, something like that, I was asked, hey, can you go and deliver that workshop to our engineering teams at Docker? And that gave me the opportunity to go to Rayleigh, where Docker had this office with, in particular, the whole kind of enterprise support team. And I remember having the opportunity to spend some time with this bunch of really amazing folks and presenting Kubernetes. And there was this moment when I was talking about labels and selectors and how you can mess around with labels on pods and then they get added and removed from load balancers and how you can use that for like blue green canary deployment, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a moment when one of them said something like, wow, this is going to be amazing to operate. And they were serious about it. It's a little bit like instead of having this black box that we had with Swarm, where it works, but if you need to tinker and do something that goes a little bit outside of the spec, it's, it's just impossible. With Kubernetes, you can see how things are working. And once you take the time to understand it, it becomes extremely powerful. For me, that was really the moment when I was like, okay, if these folks who are working with our customers every day are troubleshooting their issues, helping them solve all kinds of challenges, if these folks think that Kubernetes is going to be great to operate, then this is it. It's a thing. I'm convinced. Right. It might be complicated. Sure. But guess what? Linux is also complicated, for instance. I remember 15 years ago or something like that when I was getting started with Linux and everyone around me were like, well, you're crazy. This is way too complicated. Why are you wasting your time with this super weird system? And I was like, no, you don't get it. Look, it's so powerful. Look at all the things you can do. And I feel this was a similar moment. It's like, yes, it's complicated. It's going to take me hours, days, weeks to figure everything out. But this is going to be an amazing tool to deploy and manage and operate big distributed applications. Yeah, great. As you mentioned, it was 2017, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, and if you take it like three years later, what would you say about that maybe path to understanding and learning Kubernetes? Has it got easier, more approachable for people? Very good question. I would say that as a whole, if we take, you know, the whole cloud native landscape, it got more complicated. 
because back then, well, 2017, it was already more than Kubernetes, but we kept adding things, you know, like Kubernetes, and then perhaps you need a service mesh, perhaps you need like some uh, serverless framework to execute functions, etc. So if you want, you can keep adding layers and layers and layers. So if you want to understand the whole thing, Yes, it got more complicated. But if we stick to Kubernetes itself, I feel like it didn't get more complicated. It got a little bit simpler. You know, if I look at my training materials, which are kind of born from my workshop content of three years ago, it's just that three years ago I had, I don't know, maybe like 300 slides for half a day or whatever. And now if I add everything back to back, I have maybe a couple of thousand slides and I could go on and deliver this marathon training of two weeks. So I added more content, of course. But if I look at the intro, the foundations, it's pretty much the same. It even got a little bit simpler because there are some CLI commands that improved a little bit. I don't know, for instance, back then, if you try to do like a kubectl get pods in the namespace, where there is no pod, you would just see like no resources found. And today you see a better message like no resources found in the current namespace. You know, it's these little details that make onboarding, I would say, easier for everyone. But the foundations are the same. If you have put somebody, you know, like in a, like Han Solo in Star Wars in this cryostasis in, in uh, 2015, and you get them out of that today, they would still be able to use Kubernetes and they would barely notice that things have changed, honestly. Hey, I'm going to take a quick break here and tell you that Sam4 has a new book out called CICD with Docker and Kubernetes. If you are looking to deploy cloud-native apps, it's going to show you the most productive way of doing that. And the best of all, it's free. Download your free copy today at sam4ci.com. Yeah, having that level of polish, which takes years to get there, is super important. You said that until the end of the year, you're pretty much booked. Like every day, at least half a day, you're delivering trainings. And let's say training of a maybe particular company, there is a Docker, which is a very significant part, but there is also a Kubernetes. So grasping those concepts for people who don't have much experience, how that works, what's easier for people to grasp, what they spend more time on, what they're more excited about, maybe? This is a great question. <laughs> I think folks will get excited by different topics. So for instance, when I talk about Docker, at some point in my Docker curriculum, for instance, I teach how to optimize the size of images, but I also try to explain your goal isn't always to get the smallest possible image. I'm just going to set that as a goal and show you how we do that. But sometimes you will want to optimize for faster builds or sometimes you will want to uh, constrain yourself to a specific set of tools so that you can build not only on Intel machines, but also ARM or whatever. So I just set like that goal and then we go through you know, like, let's do multi-stage and let's try to do static binaries and let's try to use Alpine and Muscle instead of the gnu -C, like all these little tweaks and changes. And often this kind of iterative improvement where you try, you know, like you look at your score at the end, like what's the size of my image? I realized that a lot of people like that, even if it's not really something that they will use all the time. 
it's almost gamification perhaps of the build process. And as I was saying, like I ended up talking about static binaries and explaining things about the linker, etc. And one day I was wondering, is this really necessary? Should I really, you know, bother people with that kind of details? Because we are kind of super far from containers at this point. And in the year of 2020, and I think that was in 2019, but, you know, do people need to know about dynamic linking and these little things? I was almost about to decide to remove that from my training. I saw a tweet from someone saying that basically they had been trying to get a Go binary into a container image and having exactly that kind of problem with like linking, etc. It took them like 30 minutes to find what was wrong. And I was like, okay, if that person is having this difficulty, then I should absolutely keep including that in my content because this is great and useful. And getting that constant feedback for me is pretty important, like realizing what kind of problems do people face in the same vein. So that go binary anecdote that was from someone who's, who was doing something similar to what I was doing, but except instead of trying to get the smallest possible image, they were trying to get the fastest build time on a Kubernetes cluster. By build time, I mean, you know, like you change a line of code on your machine and how long does it take between the moment when you change your line of code and the moment when the code is running on the Kubernetes cluster. And you start with, I don't know, maybe like five or 10 minutes because you're doing builds and you're pushing images, etc. And then you try to shave off time from that. At the end, I think they have something like three or four seconds, uh, which seems completely ridiculous. If you want to read more about that in any search engine, look for the quest for the fastest deployment time by Ellen Corbs. It's super interesting. It's the same kind of thing where you kind of iterate. And along the way, you learn about dozens of things that you thought would be, you know, like, oh, I will never need that in my engineering career. And then you're like, well, after all, <laughs> let me <laughs> let me come back to that because, you know, like self-compressing binaries and things like that. And you're like, yep, there are scenarios where it is actually pretty useful. And even if, you know, trying to the deployment time, at first we could feel like, oh, this is a little bit silly. Why would anyone want to do that? Well, for the same reason that we have IDEs and tooling and et cetera, because we want to iterate really fast. I want to make a change. I want to see that change immediately. If it takes five seconds, it means I can try like hundreds of changes during my day and see the impact of that change. If it takes 20 minutes before I can see my change, then I'm going to be able to only do a few of them during the day. And so I will not progress as fast, basically. Yeah, something that I was thinking about when you were sharing this, it's very important to know what is possible and what is out there. So I guess from you going in, you know, some details that maybe some of the audience might think, okay, I will not need this, but you know, maybe two years later, someone will end up in a situation where it will be super useful to know that that's possible or that thing exists. Exactly. Yeah. And about that approachability of like Kubernetes and teaching that part, what are your experiencing of people who never touched it? How easy it is for them to get into it? I hope I'm doing a good job at that in the sense that when I started writing my Kubernetes kind of foundations, I imagine that I was talking to someone, you know, I can't remember who said that, but it's 
assume infinite intelligence and zero knowledge. I wish I could remember who that quote is from. But so basically, I'm not assuming that people I'm talking to know anything about Kubernetes or even containers, but I assume that they are going to be smart and capable and that they will understand things and that it will make sense. And that works pretty well. So we introduce concepts one by one, and then we start some containers, and then we add like one thing after the next. And one of my credos, like one of my principles is that I try as much as possible to explain why is it like that? Why do we have deployments and replica set and pods? Why can't I have like just one thing and that's it? And I found that this works pretty well because sure, for some folks, it's going to be a kind of information overload, like why are you telling me all these little details? All I want to know is how to deploy my microservices. But for many people, that helps to understand and remember why things are that way. So that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, even when we get into more complex things, like why can I have a a cluster role with a role binding together, but not a role with a cluster role binding, all these kind of little details. Why is that field mutable and that one is immutable? And when you explain the reason, very often people are like, oh yeah, that absolutely makes sense. That's also for me often a, almost a personal quest because you try to understand why are things that way? And there are very often really good reasons because the folks who designed and built that were extremely smart engineers. And so even if the design might seem a little bit weird at first, there are 90% of the time very good reasons for that. And once we know and understand them, it helps to understand the whole design. Yeah, yeah, that's very important. Because when there is something, you know, hard, <laughs> then if you don't know the foundations, then you are stuck. I like that idea of explaining why the things they are that they are. And the last question from my side, speaking with a lot of people, getting a lot of feedback and following for many years, you know, maybe since the inception of Docker, everything and the inception of Kubernetes, what do you look forward to? Getting maybe simpler or being possible? Or do you think that we are pretty mature? I think Kubernetes can be used on its own, but very often it's going to be used to build a platform, to have something like on top of that. What's great is that it makes it possible to build platforms, like something like .cloud, which was a past like 10 years ago now. If we had Docker and Kubernetes today, we could rebuild that in way better than it was in a fraction of the time. And I think this is the direction where we're going. More and more people are going to build platforms. If I want a full platform, I don't necessarily have to use, let's say, OpenShift or Cloud Foundry. I can build my own or I can build a platform from some basic components. I would say maybe five years ago, the only teams who could afford to build platforms were big companies like Netflix or Facebook because you would have dozens, if not hundreds of engineers just building a platform, just building deployment tools. And Kubernetes is going to help smaller teams to do that instead. So lots of folks ask me, well, do you think that developers should really know like how to manipulate Kubernetes, YAML, manifest, etc.?" And the answer is kind of yes and no. It's the same thing as like, do you think that developers should know how to SSH into an EC2 instance? 
And strictly speaking, no, that's not necessary. You just write your code, commit, push, let your amazing CI, CD, pipeline, etc., do the job and ship everything to production. Now in the real world, when something goes wrong or when you need to have a better understanding of what's going on, yes, you will want to SSH into that machine and see exactly what's going on here. And not knowing how to SSH into a machine, at some point, it's going to be a liability. So for me, it's the same idea. It's like in a perfect, ideal world, we wouldn't need to know anything about Kubernetes. It would be an implementation detail. But in the real world, we have to be pragmatic. And sometimes we will need to go and look in the Kubernetes cluster to see what's going on. So I think that's where we are. And I think we will continue to see more tools, more platforms. You know, we have uh, things like Heroku, Clever Cloud. If I want to talk about the SaaS versions, I was talking about CloudFlare and OpenShift earlier, but now we have tons of other platforms, Rancher Rio, Octeto, and on the CI and CD space as well. And here, what I see, and that's just my personal opinion, is that it's not the one size fits all. What I'm thinking about the deployment pipeline, you know, like some folks say, well, just deploy my main branch to production or, well, in fact, I want to have maybe two or three branches like main, staging and dev, and they will correspond to maybe three namespaces or three clusters or three whatever. Or maybe I want to deploy a kind of preview environment for each pull request. Or maybe I want to do canary deployments or blue green or this or that, etc., etc. So it's going to be very difficult to have a one size fits all. And I think it's becoming increasingly important in a team to have someone who will know how to set up all that automation, who will know how to pick the right CI/CD platform and how to configure everything because I can't just, you know, buy like one pre-made workflow. I need to have the workflow that works for my team. And I don't know if we already have or if we should have a title for that. Is it like a automation engineer, CI/CD engineer? I don't know. But I think this is becoming like increasingly important and these roles are going to be extremely valuable because we're going to talk about someone who understands the underlying platform infrastructure. So who understands like cloud APIs, Kubernetes, container images, maybe Docker files or whatever else, but that also understands what the business needs. Do I want to have just like prod and staging or do I need to have like multiple preview environments? Someone who understands also what the developers and the other engineers need. Do you just want to push to Git because that's all you want to be able to do? Or can I ask you to uh, put your hands in some shell scripts and YAML, et cetera, et cetera. So I think this is going to be a really important role for organizations and teams who want to ship efficiently code in this decade. Yeah. Connecting to that, when you start talking about this, you said it's your personal opinion. I think that you are right. Speaking with our customers, you know, in the field, usually all this work that you mentioned, that there is that role or that person that should understand that and can help the team, it is very frequently mentioned in the same sentence with developer productivity and developer happiness. And adjusting that, if there is a team of 15 people, it's a very different team from a team of like 100 or 200 people. 
And then do we need like a special environment for this particular pull request? Or do we need, you know, a couple of clusters of a couple of namespaces? It really changes. Yeah, I just wanted to add that when we are speaking with customers, a lot of time it's mentioned in that sentence with developer productivity and how we can make it easier for them to ship the images. As you mentioned, not 10 minutes to get it into the Kubernetes cluster, but ideally three seconds. Exactly, yeah. Well, great. Thank you so much for joining us and for sharing all this valuable experience that you acquired over the years. And yeah, we are going to share the links in the show notes about the teachings and the trainings that Jerome is doing. So please feel free to go ahead and check it out. Thank you so much, Jerome. Thanks for having me.